Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Business. In today's episode, we're speaking with Anne Rosenberg. She's a Senior Vice President of Sustainability Solutions at Wood PLC. They're a massive engineering firm with a global presence. Beyond that, she's got tremendous experience with the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, and 20 years at SAP, one of the world's global technology companies. Her focus is innovation, and her thinking is huge. So without further ado, here's Anne Rosenberg. Enjoy the episode. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be part of it. Yeah. Let's get into this. The best way to do this is to start with a bit of background on yourself. And then let's start to unpack all of these things. Because, I mean, you're such a futuristic thinker. You think deep into the future and are seeing things that a lot of people aren't. But we need some foundation. So over to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I'm Danish, but I've lived now in the U.S. for almost 10 years. I started at SAP when I was, you know, in my mid-20s and had the opportunity really to be part of the amazing evolution within technology that we are seeing the last, yeah, the last 22 years. And going from, there was a lot of constraints, how we use technology to the whole, you could call it the exponential way of working with technology. So I was fortunate to move to Silicon Valley for around 10 years ago and really be part of, you know, the whole singularity movement and this like abundance and open mindsets and also really learn how to do public-private partnership and collaboration. A lot of this you learn around the Stanford community and also just, you can say, how people, instead of like, you know, be very don't want to share good idea, but being in an environment where you share idea, where you build stuff together. So I would say I was very fortunate to be exposed to this in my a number of years in Silicon Valley. And then with SAP, I then moved into New York, where I built up a huge innovation space. For SAP, I was responsible for innovation with purpose, where we built up innovation networks around the world. And then we had this big innovation at its end of the Highline and Hudson Yard, which really became an outpost for UN. And I will say that your life is a journey, right? And I think that the way I live is like, I'm very much like, I call it, I see pattern, like I see things and then I put things together and then I begin to see trends. And and I think if I look at my journey coming from Denmark, which is a very, that number one in the world on the SDG, sustainability is part of the DNA of the Danish culture. And then moving into Silicon Valley, where you learn this whole thing, abundance of technologies and idea collaboration and, and the kindness of how to operate with Stanford. And I actually just completed and education at Stanford, where I recommended called Leeds. And then at the same time, be in a great technology company like SAP in the last 21 years, you've been on a journey to see things. And if I try to break that down, is that when I came to Silicon Valley around 10 years ago, I would call that the innovation runtime, where I see Silicon Valley, what you have learned rest of the world is like, 
with technology, you can build amazing things if you do it in a collaborative manner. And I know a lot of people know that Silicon Valley is known for this. A lot of companies have accelerators in Silicon Valley. But of course, Silicon Valley is not the only place that you can build amazing things. You can do that all over the world. And this is what I call Innovation 2.0. So I've been part of mapping out together with a company called Startup Guides. You could call it the soul of innovation in cities around the world. So if you go to Johannesburg or Cape Town, if you go to Copenhagen, or if you go to Miami or wherever you go in the world, there is a specific soul and knowledge which come from the culture of the country, of the city that you're putting into that innovation culture. So of course you do innovation all over the world. But then what happened with Innovation 2.0, I had the opportunity with SAP to move to New York. And I will say at that time, which is around six years ago, did I do innovation without purpose? Absolutely. I just love innovation and was part of building all different kind of crazy stuff. But when you begin to understand the 17 global goals that came out in 2015, and I had the opportunity to get very close to UN and became a weekly speaker at UN and spoke on behalf of the technology industry, I begin to really understand that technology is going to do something much bigger than just build cool tech, but it's really about building solutions for the future, for a better world for everybody. And I live by three rules, and that is when you build solutions or businesses, it needs to be scalable, affordable, and accessible for the people of the world, right? And that's the education you get when you get very close to the UN system. So that is where I thought about, I came up with, and I've been writing books, you know, on the way on this, Innovation 3.0, where you take the gravity of innovation and exponential thinking, and you combine it with that you do innovation all the world together with that you do it for purpose. So with Innovation 3.0, I was like, okay, now I have the recipe. So anything you build, you just need to do it for purpose. And that is where I really got into a lot of thinking, because if you really, really want to drive an impactful world, make sure we become net zero, make sure that everything we move and touch and do is sustainable, even though we have great technology at hand, you need to rethink a lot of things, right? And that is where I begin. And at that time, I was not at all into science fiction. I had the opportunity to go to a panel with UN in Europe. And I was together with Sophia the Robot, and we were on a panel having conversation. And I came home to New York to my husband, and we were talking about this, and we were talking about science fiction. And the following Monday, I was going to Singularity, had a boot camp in New York about sci-fi. And I began to think about sitting with Sophia the Robot, watching science fiction movies. Why is it that science fiction movies are predicting things that suddenly is available many years afterwards? So that team, my team in New York at SAP, I remember I came in, we run a lot of meetups at Hudson Yard at the, at the big innovation space. I said, okay, this week we're going to see maximum science fiction movies. And we need to see that if we see a movie, is there like a parallel to something that exists today? And so we watched, you know, from Star Trek to, you know, you know all the great old science fiction, new science fiction movies. And we begin to map out things that exist today that was invented for many, many years ago. At the time, I was actually doing my green card together with my husband. And we went to this green card doctor, I remember, in Manhattan, who had this big screen with Charlie Chaplin for 1928. And it was about the modern machine, right? Even at that time, they had futuristic ideas that we today actually now have available. 
So there are so many parallels from the science fiction movie to today, that product that exists. And that is where I created my science fiction book, which is not for movie makers. They're, of course, allowed to read it, but it is really for the enterprise businesses, for corporations. So I came out with that book and I did a TEDx on it. And I did that. And it came out for two years ago, before the whole world went crazy on being committed to 1.5 by 2050. And what is interesting about this is that if you just go a couple of years back, not many CEOs did that bold mission statements, right? So my whole idea about the science fiction book was to say, if you can have a sci-fi mindset, plus the exponential technologies, plus that everything you build, you do it for purpose, we are able to come up with solutions that will make the world sustainable. So I would say... That's my journey, you can say, and the way I think, and I know we'll get much more into that later in the conversation, but that's my background. So I'm very much like I observe and put patterns together and then begin to think about, okay, what does that mean? How can we solve that? So in my world right now, we live in innovation 4.0 world on our way to innovation 5.0. Wow. You know, as we joked around, you know, you feel like you're a bit behind the curve with some of this, as you were saying earlier, and I feel like I'm living under a rock, but perhaps we'll uh, start to uncover that. But I want to dive into a few things you're saying. Let's go a little further on the science fiction thinking. And, And one thing that I think it was another guest that we had on said, we're talking about books you'd read. And he said that science fiction is such a powerful way to exercise the brain because when you read a science fiction book, it is forcing you to think, to interpret that code of words, English language, whatever language it is, and convert that into, you know, what could be possible within that book. Well, transfer that to life. And so I see a lot of interesting things there. I want to ask a question though about this is when you push forward with innovation and science fiction thinking, Where do you connect the profit motive and is purpose replacing profit motive? And as a finance guy, you know, a public markets finance guy by background, you look and you go, well, we're ultimately responsible to the public markets. And I know that's old school thinking, perhaps 1.0, especially with the push of ESG. But if I brought it back to innovation thinking, pushing the envelope and the profit motive, how do you connect those? And do you have any examples that have just proven out? I think, and corporate knights who do this ESG reporting every year, beginning after year to say what companies are doing best, and they always come with an angle. So the one that came out here in 2022 was really about which companies are doing best and are building new big businesses around it. So it's really about doing good is good business, right? And I think that what the world, because I, of course, live and breathe ESG and technology every single day. And I think that what you have the conversation where you sit with a person and say, you know, there's a regulation and I need to make sure I do my ESG reporting. So they're probably a little bit more annoyed about it because they just need to check the box and do the reporting, right? But what we all need to see and understand is that we are building up a whole new economy right now. And that is the consumer that selects based on if the product, the way they live, the way they engage, the whole, like, what they prefer needs to be sustainable, right? So there's a whole new economy. Secondly, and next to that, what is happening is that there is corporations that are deselecting and selecting new collaboration partners based on if they are fulfilling a sustainable way to run their businesses. 
There are pension funds, family offices who are building their investment portfolio based on that it is sustainable companies that they invest into. I think that there has been a groundswell movement where you're seeing more capital move in towards corporations that are pursuing an ESG initiative and legitimately, right? Not just greenwashing. And that, that in essence, perhaps not the best analogy, but it pours gasoline on their fire of building something more sustainable that has a better purpose. And so there's a lot of power there. Perhaps this is a cynical question and excuse me if it is, but if you look at the capital that's there, I think it's put there it's ultimately looking for some form of return. And will that only be sustainable when times are good? What happens when we move into a recession? Or even in a bigger question, is it a developed world opportunity or is it a developed world, what's the word I'm looking for? Luxury to be able to be concerned with these issues. There are different questions. So I want to take the last question you had, if it's just the development countries that it's a luxus to be sustainable. So I said earlier, so I live by three rules and that's what I recommend companies to do when they start their sustainable digital transformation, whatever you build a new company or you transition your company. And that is that anything you build and do needs to be affordable, accessible, and scalable. Otherwise your design is wrong. So when I was at SAP, an aspect to what the question you asked about because we need to avoid the greenwashing. We need to make sure what we do is real. So I was very early out really rallying the whole purpose mission and helping companies, cooperation around the world. And you saw that corporations, no matter what industry they're in, they're setting, they're pitching and all this stuff. And on the other side, you see that the way you communicate of your company, you get all the right branding out. But the question is, are you really transforming if you're a pension fund, are you really investing correctly? If you are whatever industry, are you really doing it in a sustainable way? And for a couple of years ago, I could see, no, you were not. You were still running your business as you always have been running the business. And one thing that is super, super important, because sometimes I also think we are too tough on ourselves. And that's why I love history. And the science fiction book that I created is nearly a history book. If you just go a few years back, and if I go to the time where I joined SAP and this whole movement about the digitalization of business and so on. Nobody have incorporated sustainability into Lean Six Sigma. It was all about optimization, efficiency. Even the whole design thinking movement was really around, you know, user experience and great ideas. But using impact and sustainability, ESG, SDGs as core design principles, it was not there. And that's the reason why when you go into businesses, no matter what the financial world or in what world you go into, it have not in the past been part of any design way of building their businesses. That's the reason why today, so I created what is called the SDG Ambition, together with Elisa Kinko, who was the former director of UN Global Compact, and UN Global Compact are now rolling it out. It's the most used framework for the private sector today to transform your business to become sustainable. So we trace out the 17 global goals into 10 ambitions. And one of them is the 1.5 that we spoke about earlier. And that framework is really to say, okay, what your mission vision statement is and what you communicate is now make sure the way you operate your business, that you actually change the way you do things. So therefore going into one of the third question about, you know, I've been really doing this 
And I would say right now, where most company is, is that we saw it at COP26. Right now, companies have got their plates right. They have set their ambitions for the company. They are doing their measurement, their emission measurement, emission one, two, and three, if you talk about climate. They are rolling it out within their company. So they are really like, you can say, really get it implemented into the company. And they are looking at, you know, how they build buildings, how they produce their products, you know, how they invest, how they run the technology. Everything needs to be looked at. And here the important thing comes, because it is complicated. If you look at where I'm working, I'm working at Woodwood. It's all about the digitalization and also working with renewable in the whole energy sector. We are talking about, and I have, because I've been in tech in so many years, I've been part of digitalizing many industries. But the whole energy sector is a very old sector and it hasn't been digitalized. It's been very traditional for many years. So at the same time, you have this pressure coming in on the climate. At the same time, we are digitalizing a sector that hasn't been digitalized before. And if you go in and you look at this, and this is where I love science fiction thinking, this is where, that's why I'm calling about Innovation 5.0, that I didn't know about when I begin to work with science fiction thinking, is that we are going in and working with a climate change, which is really about everything change, and digitalizing the most impactful industries that everybody's impacted by, you can't do that overnight. It's going to take years. If you look at some of the most mature digitalization within the energy sector, is hydrogen, for example, right? That you can scale. But if you go into solar and wind that Denmark is very known for, this is still mature, but it's not in a scalable way yet. But this is what is being scaled now. So in the next five years, you will see huge wind and solar and hydrogen projects all over the world. But it's a big project. It takes time. So going back to the investment around this year, what I think is super exciting, you have an industry that is being digitalized. At the same time, if you look at the venture funds, you are seeing that there is a number of new funds where the money comes, of course, from different channels that is literally just focusing on building new, focus on building the whole big wind project or solar project. And I think that is a very interesting change that we're seeing in the energy sector. So it's not just built on the old economy, but you're seeing a whole new economy within the energy sector. Yeah. So I didn't mean to stop you there, but something that as you've been talking through this that I keep thinking about is that if you were to think about kind of business models over the years, you know, kind of let's use a 1.0, 2.0 and 3.0. 1.0 was about here's a problem, here's your solution. We don't care about the user experience. You just pay us and you get your problem solved. And then we moved in and technology came through and people started to realize if you have a better user experience, you get more engagement. We can scale better. We can go further. We can go faster. So, you know, just as a bit of an analogy there. And now what I'm hearing from you and I started to think about is that when you look at purpose-driven and you start to work on the metrics that you hold and those kind of those pillars, that becomes that next phase and it's the next nuance of delivering a better product and with that comes more adoption and better problems solved at a better level do you follow that yeah i love what you're saying and that thinking i wish everybody think like that because what i always say to people in the end whatever you live for 100 years ago or you live today there are some totally basic things that you need as a person and i use the maslow's pyramid right 
And that is what we all were challenging on during COVID also, because we were threatened with our health, right? But whatever you live for 100 years ago, or you live today, right? You need a place to feel safe. You need to socialize with people. You need food. You, I mean, there's certain things you need. Then because we live today in 2022, we have explored and learned and involved over time that we can do things in another way today that we could do for 100 years ago. But it's still the same needs we have, right? This is the same thing that we need every single day. So that's the reason why I'm telling that the life is a journey and enjoy it because if you look at the speed of technology, and we spoke about it just before we started recording, we are going now from WIP 2 to WIP 3, right? And the WIP 3 movement started really, in, I mean, probably also earlier, but 2017, the whole blockchain conversation came out and cryptocurrency came up. And now you see that there's a whole, you know, I call it the, I say there are two worlds now, there's the WIP 2 and the WIP 3, where you are coming in with a DAO, with this, this decentralized way of thinking and organizing things. It is about that you are launching and you have the parallel universe with the metaverse linked to your brains. So, for example, if you're a filmmaker, you launch your film, but you also launch the metaverse. If you like doing fashion week, you have in the decentralized, you have the fashion district. So you launch the fashion in real life, you launch the metaverse, right? You can say, and then you say, well, but why is that important? But we need to understand we as human beings, we are being very, you can say, sophisticated in the way we engage. If you think of just about five years ago, right? Or just before COVID. How much don't we use social media now and how much don't we communicate in a digital way? But if you look at the meta way, a beta versus like the next level of, I don't just want to sit and communicate. I want to be in it, right? I want to have my avatar in it. Yeah. I want to add to that in the sense that the speed and the sophistication in which we are communicating and engaging with our world between now and a hundred years ago is so vastly different in my view, it becomes more and more refined in how we engage with our environments. And it just happens that the environments now, we have the offline world and the online world or online worlds. And so that's kind of what I'm hearing from you and starting to internalize is this kind of speed and sophistication, which we're able to engage with online. Just for our listeners, can you define web 2.0 and now web 3.0? Because I really want to go deep down that conversation with you. Yeah, so first of all, if you just take a back seat right now, just kind of reflect on what's going on, because I don't want people to feel that, you know, this is not for me or, you know, what's going on here. I just need to remember everybody on, since you were born, things evolve, right? I remember when I read my husband and said, we had no idea what the internet was. We went on the internet and we didn't know what to use it for. And and today it's like ridiculous to think about it. So, and that's why I'm thinking things is really good because it inspires you to really accelerate and understand what is possible. So the Web 3.0 is, of course, the next technology evolution after Web 2, right? And the way it is played out, is played out in many ways. And of course, what we're seeing right now, so that's if you haven't yet started your Web 3.0 journey, just begin to get into it. Don't get concerned that you can't say all the smart words and you can't, because of course, there's a group who have been in for some time, but the whole world is evolving into this now. So we all learn us. We all are learning and adapting, right? So if we look at, for example, if we take the metaverse that I talked about before, there are a couple of words that you need to be aware of, like the metaverse, the NFTs, the DAO, and of course, you have the whole crypto, and then you, of course, you have the whole, the token, and then you have the whole thing about 
blockchain and a distributed ledger and a smart contract. Just to mention some of the things. To summarize, those are the, the kind of the building blocks of what this is all. Yeah, building blocks. And of course, they have different things that you do around it. And I'm not saying that you should jump on everything and everything should be done in a natural way so it fit into a business, right? So therefore, the way I am exploring this is mainly based on use cases. So it is time, no matter how old you are, get back into the learning and get into this. So for example, if you take the metaverse, so the metaverse, and for you who are gamers, it is very much like an experience where you go in and funny enough, there is science fiction movies that has predicted this. Also, if you go back into the science fiction history, but it is like where you are an avatar, where you go in and it's a parallel world. And if you look at that parallel world, there are a number of companies that is coming out with Metaverse. So you have, of course, Meta by Mark Zuckerberg. You, of course, have Decentral Lands. Decentral Lands have a number of lanes, like I talked about the fashion district I talked about Las Vegas. You can go in and buy lands. You can go in a rent land. There are real estate agents in the Decentral Land where you can rent and buy, and they can help you to set up your businesses. There is, I'm right now involved in, and that's the way I would recommend if you're not involved yet, just get involved and try this out, be part of it and learn as it goes. So right now I'm supporting a plant-based company who's doing salmon, right? And normally that is like inspiring in itself, right? Plant-based salmon, wow, is that like beyond me? I mean, is that a thing? But then suddenly you realize if I'm going to launch a plant-based salmon, how am I going to launch it? And that's where you navigate between Web 2 and Web 3. So let me give you an example on a use case in Web 2 and Web 3. I have a product plant based salmon, and I'm going to launch it. And I will launch it in a Web 2.0 world in a normal manner via uh, you know, restaurants, I can set up shops, I can, you know, the whole food and all this stuff. But I can also launch in the metaverse where you are setting up a food truck or restaurant in the metaverse. And then there is a game which is based on NFTs that then are linked to the real world. So suddenly you are launching and you have chef and recipes and people are walking around in, it's called the future food world. You're walking around and learning about new way of eating and eating and you are visiting different places and exploring, but it's linked to the real world. So that means that you have two go-to-market strategies. The same thing if you are in music and you are launching some new music, you will, of course, launch it, go on Spotify, and you will get it out to concert and so on. But now what people also do is that they do concert in the metaverse. There's something called I'm a metaverse artist, right? So you do it. And the same thing if you go into art and painting, you do it in the real world and you do it in the metaverse. The same thing in fashion, you launch on the runway, physically, you put into the different shops, do events, fashion shows, and do it in metaverse. So that's an example. The same thing if you look at the NFTs. So you link the NFTs to this. And the NFTs is really a digital piece. It could be an art. It could be music. It could be a membership to a club. So there's all different kind of ways to use the NFTs. And then you people are doing what they call NFT drop parties, where you drop an NFT. So for you listening to this podcast, you begin to look for NFTs drop party events. So that is a new way of launching communities and also buying into digital arts and so on. It's a whole world. But the same thing for the metaverse of NFTs, we are exploring a whole new way of navigating. 
And then also when you look at the DAO, the DAO is really like, you will see many more funds and foundations are based on the DAO philosophy about decentralized ways of decision-making. So you can say it is a new world, of course, based on the Vitrio technology and, of course, supported by blockchain and the way we use the distributed ledger. So it's a world that moves really fast. It's a world that gives you what I love is new business model, new opportunities. And you talked to me about before, but is this just a thing or is that really like, what is the motivation of a company to go into this? There's a whole economy there. That is, the economy in the Wichita world is massive of opportunities, right? Yeah. Do you have any statistics on that? Because I saw some that kind of blew my mind. I can't recall them, but it was... Citibank came out with the number that in 2030, I need to look up the number, it's like a billion dollar forecast for Citibank for 2030. And the way people should think about this year is like, but where did that come from? It's like a whole new economy and opportunities that you can build your business into. It's the same thing, the sustainability world have the same thing. So if I'm a company and I'm a Web 2.0 company and I'm not in the sustainability space, the way you should look at your investment, because I know a lot of companies are thinking, okay, it needs to be sustainable. It's a lot of new effort. What do I gain of this, right? So people turn it upside down and say, there's a whole new economy around sustainability that I can tap into. And there's a whole new economy for the Trio. So I need to get in and get engaged into those economies and drive my business. It doesn't mean that you just need to leave the Web2. Right now, you need to navigate across the whole thing because it will take years to do the transition. Yeah. I feel like I'm about to engage in some scientific thinking here uh, or science fiction thinking, but is it possible that some metaverses could become effectively almost countries in themselves? Would you get to a point where the economies within them could have enough sway and enough power to influence other country decisions? I have no idea. We are definitely in the early days of the whole metaverse. And if you, and that's back to the science fiction thinking. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book about science fiction thinking, I think the fundamental thing here we all need to understand is that we went from a world, if you go some years back around technology, where there was a lot of limitations. So we were just happy that we could do something, right? My Skype call worked. Yeah. The whole thing is flipped around now that you can do anything you want. And what happens when you can do anything you want? You need to figure out what you want. That's one thing. And then the next concern you have is, are you coming up with the right big enough ideas? Is the idea big enough and does it have enough impact? So that is where science fiction thinking, and I call it also the la-la land. And I remember when I wrote the book, I did not know that I was hoping that I one day would live in LA, but I knew that the only place in the world where it's okay to be a little bit like go into a room and say, let us activate our science fiction mindset and just like, it needs to be like a la-la land. I mean, walking into a boardroom and say this, they were kind of thinking, what is going on here? But it's okay in LA because the world of movies is the world of music. And I also think, I don't have the stats on this, but it's interesting to see how the whole web 3.0 world are ramping up in LA. And I do think it has to do with, do I dare to think like this, right? Do I dare to come up with enough crazy ideas? So 
The whole idea with the science fiction thinking, I remember when I wrote the book, this is the story of my life. I'm always too early with stuff, right? So I came out with the book and it went fine and I did the TEDx and people liked it and it's fun and so on. But the last year, I've got so many people who have approached me and it seems like I was probably two years too early to come out with a science fiction book for the corporate world. But now people are like, oh my God, how do I come up with ideas. So the science fiction thinking is really like you go on a time traveling to 2050. Oh yeah. Is that right to do now? I think so, because that's what we are pledging up. I want to be net zero by 2050. Okay. That's great. How would that look like? Right. More or less every single CEO in the world have done that, but how would it look like? What would that mean? So now that is actually what the book that came out for two years ago, write about it, right? You are in 2050. They actually say you are in 2030, you are in 2040, you are in 2050. Turn around and write down how would you like it to look like? And then begin to do your time traveling, go back in time. Every single company who has done a commitment on net zero are doing this right now. They're doing roadmaps. Like what are we able to do in 2030, 2040 and 50? So I think going back to the Web Trio world, the virtual world is a world which I think is exciting. It's like a world of opportunities. But what opportunities? We don't really know yet, right? This is this unknown. And this is the la-la land. La-la land is equal to unknown. This is where you're allowed to come up with ideas and then, okay, maybe not now. And I remember when I moved to Silicon Valley, I always felt that I was misunderstood when I came up with my ideas. I remember when I moved to Silicon Valley, suddenly everybody understood me and I understood them. Because the way I operate in my mind is that, and that is a back to the science fiction thinking, you see path and you see ideas. Maybe the idea is not for right now, but you will never forget it. And you put it back in your invisible backpack. And then maybe one, two, three years afterwards, now, now we roll out with this idea. And that is really a la-la land kind of mindset. So I would say that if you look at the web 3 world, I mean, the question you ask me, and what would this mean for the world? I don't think anybody knows yet. And it would be great, just like when the internet came out, we had no idea, I mean, how that would look like 10, 20 years afterwards. And the same thing now with Web 3.0, if I go 20 years like to 2050, 2040, and I would look back to this conversation, I would listen to this podcast, and I would kind of think, oh my God, they didn't know anything about anything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that you said earlier really hits me too, is that with the larger thinking of a web 3.0 world, our economies and our how we'll transact and how we'll engage with the world is all going to change. It will create a whole new economy the same way the internet redefined our analog economy and on a global basis. So yeah, big changes afoot. And I think that also the speed at which they can happen is accelerating too. I would say, and you know, I'm not early. I feel when I left Austin, South by Southwest and went into NFT LA, I kind of said, okay, calm down. You got this. And I remember I wrote down on a piece of paper, like, okay, I need to be able to at least explain myself and begin to explore. And I went into NFT LA and I was looking at this big you know, all the company brains that was there. And I knew one and I kind of thought, okay, and you knew one. And that was where I kind of felt, okay, and you need to get into the game here. And then I sat down and I was learning and listening and learning and listening and you know, processing in my mind. But I also took the decision. And I think that's what I typically do is that I said, I don't just want to step into the Web 2.0 world. I want to be the bridge between the Web 2 to the Web 3. Because 
my belief in life is that everything we come from is the beginning of what we're going to build going forward, right? So if you take sustainability and with this what so I'm working now very much on making sure that anything we do in the Web 3.0 world need to be sustainable, need to be correct with net zero. So for example, when I go to, I'm part of consensus that would be in Austin, they are going to, they kind of said, you know, we need to make sure because it's one of the biggest Web 3.0 events, we need to make sure that we drive the impact conversation. So I'm in and speaking at consensus about, you know, We shouldn't go back to the trap about tech is cool for the sake of cool. No, we need to talk about, okay, we have much more opportunity now than we have in Web 2.0, right? Great. What are we building? Scalable, accessible, and affordable. Scalable, accessible, affordable. Always the UN mindset for everybody, right? So just like I have been advocating and I advocating on the Web 2.0 world, I'm doing the same thing in Web 3.0 world. But am I excited about it? Oh, so excited because it's more or less like when you are like a science fiction thinking person like I am, it's like, okay, I just got some proof and some more capabilities of building something which is more incredible to do exactly what my passion is about, what most people, what every passion is about, is to build a better world. Like we have a climate crisis in front of us. We need to solve it. How do we do that? Right? So, yeah, that's how I look at it. Then how I want everybody to look at it. Yeah. I love the energy and the enthusiasm behind it. It is exciting and it is remarkable at how much technology has changed our lives and will continue to when you look. And it's not going to be long. I mean, the speed at which things move now is incredible. One place that you've mentioned, and I think it ties into your work with Wood, is that when it comes to the world of oil and gas, to the energy industry in itself, it is stuck in its ways. Where have you seen digital transformation happen there and how has it happened? And how do you have those conversations to help that along? And I guess I'm going to come from it two sides. One is that I absolutely believe it needs to happen because I do not believe we can live without oil in our lives or without petrochemicals in our life. You know, it's a dirty business, unfortunately, but it can be cleaner because of technology. So how do you see digital transformation happening or success stories that you've seen happen that could be put to work by others? So I'm really excited to, it's more or less like when you really get into sustainability, it becomes like your mission in life to support as much as you can to change things. So when I went to work for Wood, it was really to say, where can I go and really work with an industry? Because when I worked for SAP, I worked across all industries, right? And now I work in the energy sector and I have this strong technology background. So what I did, I took my technology mindset I took my UN impact mindset, sustainability mindset, and went to an industry that needs to be digitalized and where we need to make sure that we move it into renewable, right, the whole energy sector. And that's also what people need to understand, that it's a huge transition that we have in front of us. And I think there's been a lot of learning for a lot of people that the energy sector, everybody's impacted by the energy sector. Everybody is supported daily by the energy sector, you know, how you power your computer, how you, the electricity in your house, or get from A to B with your car, or what you eat, or what you wear, or all of that stuff, right? So what I am really excited about, and I remember when I started at Woods, because I was really pushing this agenda being at SAP, and I was watching the different industries, 
and this is now one and a half year ago, 75% of all the engagements that came into Wood was a requirement that everything that was done was done in a sustainable way and we were building really in the renewable space, right? And I remember that there was some statistics coming out from LinkedIn about what industries are right now adapting fastest and requiring most skills within sustainability. And remember, it is the energy, it is the whole infrastructure, it was pharmaceutical, there was a couple of industries and they were like, they were totally outliners out here and then you had all the artistry on the other side, right? So what you see in an engineering consultant company like Woods and similar companies is that they have been working in the sustainability space much earlier than the rest of the world have done because they work with those industries where the pressure is enormous. But they are also working with industries that is going to an amazing, I think Bill Gates is talking about a historical digitalization of the most impactful industry. So it's super exciting. So, you know, if you look at Houston or you look at Saudi and there are some specific hubs in the world or where there's a lot of the gravity, I talked about soul of innovation, the gravity of knowledge, or you look at the country like Denmark or Norway, you know, whatever you talk about big oil and gas cities or very much windmill solar kind of cities, the innovation, whatever it is in existing company or in the innovation ecosystem is giant. And if you're coming from the financial side, if you look at the amount of money that is being channeled into the whole renewable industry and the whole transition into renewable. It is one of the industries that has most money being investing into right now. If I then look at what is going on, it is so exciting to see if you look at any of the clients that would work with is both companies that have been in the space for many years. And we also work with big investment funds that go out and building totally new from the beginning. I mean, I am so humbled to be allowed to be part of this because I know that transition is going to impact so many people's life. Not just that we are going into renewable, but the way that the digitalization are going to improve the way we consume and are supported by the whole energy sector. So I would say that the amount of work that is being done right now and will be done, we all know that COP26, so I had the opportunity to be heavily involved in that and was running a big innovation space with Wood, uh, Wood is a Scottish company. And seeing the commitment and solutions that were presented, it was not just talk, it was really solutions. And then seeing now, as we are leading into COP27 in Egypt and then into Saudi in 2028, I would say that you listening out there, if you are up for it to go into an industry that is really changing, both of digitalization and also rethinking, it's a rethinking how to produce, going from a central to a decentralized way of working with energy resources, it is a super inspiring industry to be in. So you can see I'm really excited about it. And I it's a great learning for me also because I came from a more a technology broad industries perspective and then do a really deep dive into the energy sector. And then I just have the deepest respect. I mean, I meet people at Wood who work with climate for the last 25 years and they don't even think they're special, right? And they're like, oh my God, <laughs> you are very special. So I will say it is a fascinating industry to be in. And it's also interesting when you look just in the last two years, how everybody talking about the climate and the change and how we work with this and how we 
we see that change, right? Just for a few years ago, working with the SDGs, it was more that we spoke about all the 17 global goals, but we became very focused now. And I love that because when you get focused, you also get the investment behind it. You get the solutions behind it and you begin to see the transition. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely, because we are talking about digitalization. We are talking about accused transition. So it's a massive change, but fascinating change that I'm part of. I'm in the middle of and watching and seeing and supporting and driving. Yeah. And you've had an incredible career. I mean, with the work with SAP and building up through the the innovation space there and, and touching globally on different innovation hubs and all that, it's so neat. And to see your enthusiasm and your passion for this and the people that you're connected with, just it's such a testament to the fact that great things are happening. And what I hope for the listeners and what's happened to me is it's opened my eyes, the listeners and the viewers, it's opened my eyes to the potential that's out there and not to be stuck in analog, if you will, or stuck in 2.0. And so I really appreciate that. I want to be respectful of your time. So I wanted to wrap up with a couple more questions. One, I'm really curious about what you read aside from your own book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now, I literally read anything I can read about with Trio. And that's what I recommend to everybody out there. Be open-minded around this. So I read, it's not a dedicated book. I follow everything that is going on, CoinDisc, which is like, you can call it the Bloomberg for the Retreat.org world. I read anything. I'm signed up to all different kinds of things that I'm reading about. There's like this Metaverse newsletter where you get like the summary of the latest grade in the Metaverse. So right now, I'm very deep in that. Sorry, what were the names of those? CoinDisc. It's CoinDisc. CoinDisc. A news within the Retreat.org world. Then I would say from sustainability, I'm very selective because what happens when sustainability and this whole movement, which is great, finally went to mainstream. And that is what we've been waiting for for a couple of years. But that also means that there's a lot of information out there, which is great. But, you know, I'm always saying when people ask me, so who do you work for? And I work for Wood. But I always see that my role in this world is to, to try to really do as much impact as I can. So I'm kind of saying I really work with the agenda of UN, right? That's my leading way. And then I work for Wood where I'm able to really bring that into what we spoke about earlier. So I think that anything that UN are sending out, I'm very close with the UN Global Compact. I'm very close with the World Economic Forum. So I do a lot of reading about this. Also the organization that lead the sign-based targets. So I'm like, because you can also drown, of course, in information. And then, yeah, I would say that, of course, when the IPC report comes out. So I have like my different things that I read and learn. And then I just want to say, I just completed because... I don't know. I love learning and exploring and a big thing. Most people are in the world of Stanford. So because I'm not traveling as much, I don't think anybody have done during COVID. I took the opportunity to, and I just graduated last week, to take a half-time study at Stanford on LEAD because I kind of felt, you know, you come to a point in time where you kind of think, okay, the world has been set upside down. Okay. So you cannot just do as you used to do before. So Stanford have this call that is called LEAD, L-E-A-D that literally bring you into this new world. You know, anything that you need to do in driving businesses, build businesses, storytelling is a management education, but a management education for the sustainable vitrio world. That's really what it is. It's like bringing you into that. And I also think it has to do when you ask about what you read and what inspire you. And I know, you know, I've been around for many years, but you can never stop learning. And I think that it's a gift 
It's such a gift that you now on a sustainability with your journey. It's just a gift to be able to learn and be part of that evolution, right? Yeah, so that's my recommendation. I would probably study sustainability, very selective, get the right sources, and then literally deep into the your world and just like explore as much as you can. Yeah. And then, of course, just accept that when you watch a science fiction movie, it's really good for you. But never, ever, and that's the thing with the metaverses, because they also exist. Anything you do in life with a science fiction mindset and with your world, Always do it according to the 17 global goals. Always, 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 right? Everything you do, accessible, scalable, and adaptable. Always, always, always for the humankind, for everybody in the world. That's important. Wonderful. And thank you so much. And I just wanted to, uh, we'll put it in the show notes for sure, but where can people follow your work? Because I know you're very active on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, I have a site called edrosenberg.com. And I have like where I speak and what I post and books and I have a site about what I prefer of cool events to go to. And remember, this is not about me. This is how I see the world. I would say to any person, I mean, your life is a journey. And then just open your eyes and think about what you see. And even though that you've been in the game for many years, just step into the new thing. I mean, it's not like the Wiptree or world is just very super young people. It's not. There's nothing wrong to go into the Web2 world right now, no matter, also no matter what background you have. It's just like going into investing. You don't need to be in finance to go into investing or to build a startup. You don't need to have done that from the beginning. Everybody can go in and become a startup. It's more or less that everybody can go in like I just did an education at Stanford. I mean, your life is an exploring phase to the end, right? I think that's a good way to look at the life. Because it's such a blessing and so inspiring. I mean, the Web3.0 World Sustainability, when I started that journey, and I did not start on the sustainability journey. When I was in Silicon Valley, I was just into exponential technology, full stop. Excited about that, right? And then I suddenly realized, became super embarrassed about, oh my God, am I building solutions that is not supporting a better world? Oh yeah, you are. You need to change that. So at the same time, you're going through life, reflect on And also don't be embarrassed about saying that, okay, I didn't get it right, but there was a reason why I didn't get it right, because that was not what we focused on, right? And you should do that through the entire life. Yeah. And then see opportunities. I think that's a remarkable philosophy. I've really enjoyed my time. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.